welcome to week two of a series we're calling Man Code. Uh, we're talking about, for several weeks, what it means to be a man uh, in the 21st century. I'm glad you decided to join us today for that. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before we jump in uh, today, let me tell you two, two things. One, you may uh, be interested in giving to support relief efforts for Hurricane Harvey hitting uh, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Uh, massive hurricane, one of the strongest in uh, a number of years. And you may be wondering, uh, how could I help support that? You may or may not know, uh, whenever you give to us as a church, we're part of a tribe of churches uh, globally called the Church of the Nazarene, and we support uh, 5.5 cents of every dollar goes to support missionaries and global compassionate ministry centers and relief for world disasters like the hurricane. And so you always give to support that, whether you know it or not. But then if you want to give over and above that, this is an organization we trust, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, vetted, their, uh, they're accountable for their finances, and they're mobilizing right now to help provide some relief. So if you're looking for a place that you would trust, you can just log on there, ncm.org, and you can donate right there and make a difference. So thanks if you do that. Uh, next, uh, just I want you to know, we're doing this series, and next week uh, I'm going to hit pause on the series for one week to talk about something that is incredibly divisive in our country right now, and uh, it's dividing us, and I don't want for it to divide our church, and that thing is politics. I, would just, I wouldn't abide being a good leader if I said, oh, I'll let that divide our church. Can't let it happen. So I'm going to pause, and I want to talk. I, I uh, a couple weeks ago, or a week ago, whatever it was, talked about what happened in Charlottesville, and then during the week, I followed up with a Facebook post about about the racial issue and racism, and, and, and what happened as a result of that was a lot of heat. Uh, there was so much heat, I baked some potatoes on it. I mean, it was, it was hot, and I went, oh, wow, okay. So what I'm going to do is next week, using nothing but the scriptures, I'm going to just talk about how do, you, how do you engage politically, or do you engage politically if you're a person of faith? Uh, if you're a person of faith, does that automatically mean you're a Republican? Uh, if you're a person of faith, does that automatically mean you're a Democrat? What does that mean? How do you see that? So if you want to, we're, uh, we're not going to be pointing fingers. If you listen to the message of Jesus, Jesus always challenges everybody. And so on whatever side of the aisle you happen to be on, you will walk away going, huh, I don't know. Hmm. So I, I really would invite you to be a part of that next week. Okay, do that. So I want to invite you to stand with me now if you would. We always read a passage of scripture together. I'm going to read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. This is from the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in ancient Corinth. I'll read it aloud. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Well, hey, I want to talk to you about uh, uh, the man wound. Now, every guy has uh, a man wound, and they have a story about their man wound that if you just ask them, they will tell you. They will tell you how they got it. They will tell you what happened. They will give you a pain scale and make themselves sound really great about how they endured that pain. But they have a, if you want an interesting conversation at lunch today, say, hey, where'd you get that scar? And a guy will launch into a story because every guy's got a man wound. I, uh, you can't see it from here, but if you were to look at my finger right here on my index, right index finger, uh, I've got a dent in the, in the spot where the finger bends. 
And when I was in college, I loaded trucks at night for UPS. Now, I don't know you know how that works. I'm not talking the little brown trucks, the big uh, semis that drive up and down the road. And if you've ever been inside of a UPS thing or past it, like if you've been up on 294, that big, huge complex, um, those are all the way across the country, and it's a huge warehouse with all these chutes going everywhere, and that's how they sort the boxes, and you have a, a truck that goes to a certain location, and that's how your package gets shipped across the United States. And, and yahoos like me uh, kill themselves for a four-hour sprint, loading 600 boxes an hour minimum, uh, and then you just about want to drop over dead when you're done at the end of the four hours. And so I, I loaded trucks. That's how I made my way through college uh, that first year, and um, I had my truck. Well, some of the trucks that UPS uses have rollers built into them, but sometimes they'll use just a standard semi-trailer and have nothing in it. And so that semi would back up to the, the bay, and there was a metal catwalk, and off the other side of the metal catwalk were these uh, set of rollers that were up on, on wheels, and they would unstack, and they would go like this, and then you'd pull it further, and it would unstack, and it would go all the way into the semi, and you would push the packages, you and whoever was helping you with your truck would push the packages in, and you'd build walls and load the truck that way, and then you'd un stack it back up and move it out. Well, one day we were uh, pulling the, the, uh, this, this metal beast that weighs about 500 pounds over, and we were going to pull it off. And what you, you'd take two guys to pull it, because you had to kind of give it a, a, a jerk, and it wouldn't move, it wouldn't budge. And we looked down, and sure enough, the track that the wheel was on on this side right here was bent, so that the wheel couldn't come over the track. So I, uh, in all my wisdom, I said, hey, uh, to the guy working with me, I said, hey, you pull, I'll lift. So I bent down, and I said, okay, one, two, three, and I, I picked up while he pulled. And when I, he picked up and I pulled, it slipped, and my, my index finger was underneath the 400-pound, 500-pound beast. Now, I won't be graphic, but I will use the word geyser, okay? So, uh, <laughs> and uh, I got six work weeks of workman's comp out of that deal, right? Every guy has some kind of man wound story like that. Every single guy. Now, you could take, though, the man wound, and you could dig another layer down. Now, men, stereotypically, we don't like to dig very deep. Now, I'd, I'd love to change that with my two boys. I'm, I'm trying to raise a generation of, of deep and significant men, but stereotypes are stereotypes because they're usually kind of true. They're usually kind of accurate. Not always. Uh, but as men, we have a tendency to stay uh, fairly much on the surface of things. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons for this. Uh, remember when you were a kid and a little girl would cry? What did everybody say? Oh, it's okay, sweetheart. Here, come here. And you were a little boy and you cried? What, what did you get told? Boys, shake it off. Boys don't cry. Real men don't cry. Right? Uh, you... And you got this message that men don't really deal with that kind of emotion. Or uh, you might have heard, you know, men just deal with it. Deal, real men deal with it. You know, suck it up, buttercup. Uh, just make it happen. Uh, you have your own experiences around that as a man. And you, so you, you got messages sent to you that real men don't fill in the blank. Uh, male men, real men do, you know, fill in the blank. All of those were meant to convey that men are people of strength. In other words, a real man is strong. That's what a real man is like. So that means that you didn't dare, even today, be weak. Because then you're not a real man. But what happens when you are weak? Now, 
uh, I want to I give you three ways uh, that we as men like to look at ourselves, uh, kind of a man, operate kind of like a man code. And within those are, I think, three secret fears that every man at some point wrestles with. And they really are. They're, they're kind of man codes that tell us how to operate as a man in the world. And they also frame what Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. It's kind of the backstory. And ladies, as you're listening to this, this might explain us to you. I know we're confusing. I know we are frustrating. I know you may not get us. I know you may get frustrated with us, but this may in some way explain us to you. You might go, oh, that's why he's an idiot. You know, okay, right, that, might be, that might be why you may do that. So here's, here's the first one. The first kind of man code that we tend to operate by is that men are hunters. Uh, that's the guy who can go out and do whatever it takes, uh, whether that's kill the buffalo, shoot it out with the bandits, uh, secure the homestead, and, and that's a brave person who will risk life and limb to make sure that there is something on the table. This is the provider, like that's the man's job. Is he's going to make sure that everything's taken care of, and he'll do whatever it takes, because that's a man's job. The man provides for his family. He'll, he'll go face down any danger, kill whatever he has to, drag it back home, so that his family will be provided for. And, and it, you know, the, the emotional life of a hunter is kind of sparse, you know? You need to not be afraid. You need to kind of sort of not need anyone. I, I was looking for a picture to kind of demonstrate this, and I found a whole bunch of pictures of men with big game. But it really, honestly, it's not all that brave. When you can get a gun and you can shoot an animal from a mile away, how brave is that? I mean, it's cool, but how brave is that? I don't know. When you're, like... The elephant's charging you, and you have to take it down. That's, that's, that's brave. So I found a picture of Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the president, uh, who was known for being a man's man and how he shot. I, I don't, I'm not saying go shoot elephants, but uh, he did, right? He, he stared that thing down with what it looks like a 12-gauge. I'm like, okay, all right. So that, that's kind of the picture, though, right, is that you're that kind of a man. You can, take, you can stare anything down, and you'll take it down, and that's who you are. And the, the bottom line, when you see yourself as a hunter— is that you are not to come home empty-handed. Because if you come home empty-handed, what are you? A failure, right? This is the fear that men who are hunters, secret fear that they have. They don't want to be a failure. It's unthinkable to be a failure, because if you're a failure, you're a loser, and you don't want anybody to know that. Uh, Floyd Patterson, who in the 50s and 60s uh, was the world heavyweight boxing champ. This is a picture of him right here. He's actually on the receiving end of a punch right now. Uh, two heavyweight titles. He, he won a gold medal um, for, uh, as, in boxing. And he told the story himself. He said when he would go to a fight, he would bring a sack of disguises. And if he lost, he would leave as someone else. <laughs> right? Because this is the fear of a man. If this is your man code, you cannot fail. Failure is not an option. This is why men will do things like not ask for directions, because it means you're a failure. Uh, this is why men will, it's hard for most of us as men to admit that we made a mistake, because what we're doing when we admit that we made a mistake is we are saying, I'm a failure. Some of you, you have uh, husbands or boyfriends, whatever, they're a little older, and they will not go to the doctor to save their life, and even if they <laughs> literally are going to die, like, I'm not scheduling the appointment. reason is they don't want to admit that they're a failure, right? It means that they've failed in some way, shape, form, or fashion. This is why men 
uh, are, are so hard for us to say the three-word phrase, I was wrong. The man code, when you're a hunter, when you see yourself that way, it won't let you. So you, you start out with this good thing if you want to provide, and you end up running from failure. One of the other ways uh, that we look at ourselves, we like to think about ourselves as, as men, is we like to think of ourselves as the stud or the lover. Um, so in ancient times, men would go to battle, and you would fight in a city, and when you fought the people in that city and you won, the men would take all the spoils of war, meaning they would also take the women. That's just kind of how it worked. Uh, we're kind of not that different. It would be like on Friday night at the football game, when the football team wins, they get to take the other team's cheerleaders home with them. <laughs> the women are like, what? And the men are like, I think I want to go play football. I know some <laughs> That, that's kind of that's how it works. It, but it's the same today. It's just that the, different, the, the playing field is different. So now it's whoever has the best job or whoever is the, uh, has the best looking or whoever has the best athlete or the best sense of humor gets the girl. You want to be the most interesting man in the world, right? This, if you, you see yourself as the stud or the lover, this is the best version of you, right? If this is your man code. Is, and this is him. He's not even a commercial. He just attracts a lady. You know, that's just kind of it. Uh, but what is the fear? What is the fear that goes along with that? The fear is that you would be rejected. I remember in seventh grade, uh, I came in. We had a recess in the seventh grade. And I remember coming in uh, kind of at the end. It was a hot, sweaty day. And we had these stairs. You'd go up. And then around the corner was the water fountain. And as I was, as I was coming in, uh, coming in right behind me, because we were kind of the last ones off the, off the school grounds, was Becky Alexander. Now, if you're a seventh grade guy, you have a Becky Alexander, the best looking girl in school, and you knew who she was, right? And every guy knew who she was because they all talked about that girl, right? And uh, sh she came in up the stairs near me, and the line kind of went down while I waited in line, and I stood there, and finally it was just me and the water fountain, and I leaned down to take a drink, and I hear behind me, no one else around, hi. I'm seventh grade. I don't know how to talk to girls, especially one that's the most beautiful in school. So I thought, she must be talking to someone else, even though the hall is empty. I take my drink, and I hear it again. Hi. So in all of my great uh, fearlessness, I turned and walked away. Because <laughs> I didn't know what to do, right? I didn't want to be rejected. Becky Alexander couldn't, surely couldn't be talking to me. Uh, but when, you're, when you, you see yourself this way, that you're the guy that gets the girl, you will do anything you can to not be rejected. Uh, I was going to show you this little video, but it's so quick, you kind of miss it. So I took some screenshots of it. I don't know if it's real or a commercial or what, but it kind of illustrates the point. There's this guy uh, right here who is, uh, this beautiful woman's walking by. She's all joggedy and beautiful, and he's sucking in his gut, right? The instant she walks by, it's the next picture. Let's have the gut. <laughs> If you see the video, you search for the video, he knocks the table over, knocks the guy over, right? If, if you see yourself as the stud or as the lover, your man code requires you to suck in your gut. It requires you to do this. Uh, you start, and here's what happens. You start out wanting to win love, and you end up trying to avoid rejection. It's a, it's a fear of a man. 
Uh, now, one of the other ways that we think about ourselves, we like to think about ourselves, is uh, as the fighter. And this kind of revolves around whoever's the toughest. So in the name of being the toughest, as men, we will do the stupidest things you can possibly imagine. They got a picture of this guy sticking his hand down an alligator's mouth. Now, listen, I, I, guarantee, I, I challenge you to find a picture like this where a woman is doing this. <laughs> Women don't do this. Women are like, you lose your arm. What are you, an idiot? Guys are like, check me out. Watch this. Because <laughs> we want to be the toughest. Uh, if you're a guy, you know. If you're a woman, you, woman, you will probably might not believe me unless you've seen guys do this. We will sit around when it's just the guys, and we will play games designed to hurt the other guy. And you will sit there, and your job is to take the pain. I won't describe, most of you know, men know what I'm talking about here, but I won't describe what you, you sit there, like that's your job is to show how tough you are when you do, men, women are like, you don't do that yet. Yeah, just ask a guy. We're stupid. We're complete idiots. Uh, but because the goal when you are, see yourself as the fighter is to win against the enemy. Now, what's the fear that drives a lot of that? The fear is that you would be powerless. Uh, that you would be seen as weak. That you would be out of control. And so we, as men, we see enemies everywhere. I, I would honestly, and we'll talk more about this next week, but honestly, some of what's driving the political divide is, honestly, it's men who are afraid of being powerless. Uh, but the enemies can be everywhere, you know? The, it's can be the, it can be the company that won't give you a raise or the system that won't pay your loan, and so you just have to fight them, and you have to give all this energy to winning. Now, we, we hate this so much that we do it everywhere. I think every guy has probably had this experience, but you're driving down the highway, and uh, you're making good time, and some guy comes up behind you, and he's going faster than you, and maybe he flashes his lights at you, honks at you, and it kind of ticks you off. So you're like, who is this Yahoo? What is he? I'm going fast enough. And so what you do is you speed up, so there's a truck on the right, and you're on the left, right? And you're like, well, take that. Watch this, buddy. So you kind of play this little game for a few miles, and finally, you, the better sense gets the, the better part, better, common sense gets the better part of you, and you go, okay, this is kind of dumb. So you pull over. What does he do? Pulls up. He mouths some words. Even though you don't know how to read lips, you know exactly what he's saying. He lets you know in his own specific way that you're number one, and then his chariot speeds off, right? And then what happens? Do you, you start to daydream. And what are you daydreaming about? Do you daydream about pulling off at the McDonald's on the next exit and greeting him and telling him, wow, how manly you are? No, you daydream about how you're going to beat the tar out of this guy, right? This is what you're doing. This is exactly what's happening. Uh, we're, we're like, we're like, uh, like I was, in this, again, in the seventh grade. I was, another scenario, I was in the back of the church van and the cutest girl in our youth group, her name was Diane. Um, seventh grade boys being seventh grade boys, we were back flexing our non-muscles, right? <laughs> and Diane turns around, looks at me, and says, you don't have any muscles. And I'm like, what? So I go home, and I get out Boy's Life. Boy's Life, if you were a Boy Scout, you know, you can get the Boy's Magazine. And at the back of the Boy's Life was always this cartoon every month. I found it online. If you've, uh, men, you've seen this cartoon before. It was like, you don't want to be the skinny kid that gets picked on, and so you buy the thing from Charles Atlas, and then you go back and you punch the guy in the face. and That's us as men. If this is our, our man code is that we're a fighter, we start out wanting to be tough, but we end up trying to avoid being weak. These are the fears of a man. 
and every man on some level, whether they acknowledge it or not, is driven by them. Now, and, they, and they all come from your particular man code. And now listen, whether or not you say you have a man code, you do. Whether or not you think you're passing on your man code, you are. The next generation is picking it up. And, and you'll be driven by those fears unless you decide to adopt and live into a different man code. What if you could have a different man code and it was a better man code? And you were a better version of yourself. Well, that's what Paul gives us right here. And what Paul tells us is that God's man code is love. See, men operate by a different code. Godly men operate by God's code. And God's code is love. And so what Paul does is he gives us, in probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, uh, that unfortunately only gets read at weddings, if you've never really heard it before, uh, what love is, what it does, and what it stays away from. And now you need to understand, whenever you read anything that the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament, the backstory for everything that Paul writes is always Jesus. And he's, he, what Paul is understanding is that Jesus has already done these things for all of us as men. Jesus has, has lived the life that you and I ought to have lived and have failed at in multiple ways and in multiple places, and he's done it right. And so what he does is he hands us his grace and his power to live that kind of a life. And so I'm not asking you by this, when we're going to unpack what Paul says here in this passage, uh, I'm not asking you to try really hard. I'm asking you to surrender yourself to God and find his power to live as a different kind of a man. That's what I'm asking you to do, and that's what Paul's asking you to do. So we're going to take Paul's words, and we're going to make them into a new man code. Now, maybe you've done this before. You've heard this passage uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, and maybe you've done this little exercise, you know, love is patient, love is kind. You put your name in there. Scott is patient. Scott is kind. Oh, I just failed, right? Uh, what if you added the word men into that? I'm gonna, we're going to put this on the screen for you. Uh, what if men are patient and men are kind and men do not envy or boast? Men are not arrogant or rude. Men do not insist on their own way. Men are not irritable or resentful. Men do not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoice with the truth. Men bear all things. Men believe the best about all things. Men have hope for all things. Men endure all things. Now, I'm going to unpack all of what Paul says right here. Uh, I'm going to ex- do my best to explain it to you a little bit. And then I'm going to, at the end, I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to living as this kind of a man. I'm not asking you to do it perfectly. I'm asking you to say, I'm going to commit myself to it. I'm going to spend my, uh, uh, more time on those first two, and then we'll, we'll go through the rest of them. So here's what Paul says. He says, uh, in contrast to any other man code, men are patient. The word in the Greek language there is macro thumos. You've heard the word macro. What does it mean? It means big picture, right? And, and what, Paul, what it means is literally you have the big picture on your anger. Thumos is the word for anger. So patience is I have a bigger picture about what I feel angry. Because when we're impatient, it's because we're hurried, we're scheduled, we have a plan, we've got an agenda, we have things that need to get done. And people around us in our life are disrupting the thing that we as a man know is supposed to happen. And so what we do is we take anger as a tool out of the tool bag and we use it on the people around us so that we can get our agenda done. That's the definition of being impatient. And what Paul says is that you need to to see anger in a different way and not as a tool to deploy, but as something that doesn't work to get that. In fact, James writes about this in the New Testament. He says, my dear brothers, talking to us men, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And this is what he says. Because man's anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, we as men sometimes take anger as a strategy that we deploy to make life work. And what James says, that's not a strategy that will produce a right 
ordered life. It just won't do it. You think it will, but it won't. Now, I, I, let, me, let me pause on this for just a second and just talk about men and anger, okay? When, when I was uh, growing up, I um, have an older sister, and she's four years older than me. My parents adopted her. And uh, when she was very young, my parents noticed that there were some things that weren't emotionally and mentally not right with her. And before they had all these diagnoses that we have today, she had a lot of the stuff that, you know, you would, you would have. And as a result, she acted out in some really um, not great ways. Uh, acted out toward me, acted out toward my mom, who in physical stature, by the time my sister was 12 or 13, she was bigger than my mom and bigger than me. And uh, so much so, she was, she was, not to throw my sister under the bus, but there was just so much that went on that my cousins uh, later in my life, after I became an adult, said, we're honestly surprised you turned out normal. I remember so vividly feeling powerless at my older sister. I mean, think about it. A, a boy and then a girl beat you? And you're like, I felt so powerless. And I remember feeling anger as a, as a little kid. And I somehow learned that anger was something I could deploy to change things. And I, I've struggled with that all my life. It has been a constant battle for me. I've had to apologize to my wife and apologize to my kids. Because I, I'm in the process of learning. I'm not proud of that in any way. But I'm aware. And what Paul is saying is that if you're going to be a man, you just got to take a bigger picture on your anger. Uh, give yourself an Indian name and make your Indian name Chief Long to get angry. <laughs> yeah, me, Chief Long to get angry. Just, uh, Make that who you are. Because then Paul says that men are kind. And what he means is that, that God has a strategy. See, many of us grew up, and one of the reasons you stay away from church, and the way, one of the reasons you stay away from religion, is you were taught that God is angry at you, and it took Jesus dying on the cross for God to not be angry at you. That's not actually the Bible. Uh, Paul, in one of his other letters to some Christians in Rome, he says this, he says, it's God's kindness it, it, that's intended to lead you to repentance or a change of mind. God's strategy for changing people is not anger, it's kindness. And so if that's God's strategy toward you, you can have that strategy toward other people. Now what's kindness? Kindness is being kind. <laughs> it's being favorably disposed to the people around you. It's having a yes face. What do I mean by that? There's a story that gets told about George Washington um, in the Revolutionary War, there was a soldier crossing uh, a river and, on foot, and two officers came up uh, and on horseback, and the, the man who was a, a private or a low-ranking um, soldier looked at these two officers and, and kind of brazenly asked one of them, hey, could I have a ride across on your horse? And the man said, sure, hop on. Took him across, set him down. He got to the other side, and the other officer came to him after the officer he'd wrote, ridden on the horse with rode off, and he said, how dare you? Do you not know who you just asked? You're a private. You don't do that. Do you not have any clue who you just talked to? No, I, I, I don't know. Who, who was that? He said, that was General George Washington. Why in the world? What in the world would possess you to do something like that? He said, well, when I looked at you both, he had a yes face. Okay, listen. This is us as men, right? Not yes face, but like, 
That's not a yes face. Men are kind. Not like that. Uh, then he goes on. He says, men do not envy or boast. The word envy there is the word where we get zealot. It's, just, it's being zeal. It's, uh, it's like having a passion for your own thing. It'd be zeal for your own deal. And many men, we have zeal for our own deal. We don't have any zeal for anyone else's deal. But Paul says, men, men don't do that. Men have zeal for someone else's deal. Uh, they don't boast, which means they don't exaggerate. Like, I caught a fish this big. Men don't do that. There's a story about Muhammad Ali uh, getting on an airplane, and he's sitting down in the airplane, and uh, he's, he's being asked to buckle the seatbelt, like the little thing they do when you get on a plane, how to buckle your seatbelt, in case you hadn't ridden a car since 1972. And they, they ask you to buckle the, the belt, right? And uh, he doesn't do it, so the stewardess goes up to him and says, uh, Mr. Ali, uh, before we take off, everyone has to have their seatbelt buckled. And he responds, if you know Muhammad Ali, referred to himself as Superman. Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the stewardess said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> okay, click. Men, men don't do that. Men don't boast. Men aren't Superman. Uh, men are not arrogant or rude. The word arrogant means be puffed up, overinflated. You could think about one of those black inner tubes and it's got too much air and it's got that little bubble. But God has given you enough hot air for your own life. You don't need to add more hot air and get a nasty-looking bubble on your life. That's, that's what arrogance is. Uh, men are not rude. Rude uh, means you, you cause people to hide their face in shame. You embarrass people. Some men think it's really cool to embarrass people on purpose. I understand you might do it and not mean it, but on purpose, men don't do that. Men aren't rude. They apologize if they find out that they were. Men do not insist on their own way. The word there the, in the Greek means to insist on itself. It's okay to let other people have their own way. Some men think, well, if I let him have his own way, he'll think he's better than me. Listen, men don't even care what the other guy thinks. They're like, it's fine, you can have your way. I'm not diminished by you having your own way. It's okay. Men are not irritable or resentful. The word irritable, irritable literally in the Greek is two words, and it means to come alongside the sharp things. It means you're, uh, if you're an irritable person, you're provocable, right? If you're provocable, that means you're pokeable, right? The sharp stuff easily gets to you. And men, uh, men are not pokeable. Like, just stop being pokeable. They're not resentful, Paul says, which means they don't hold on to wrongs. They don't collect wrongs. See, some men have collections of things, like, here's my baseball card. Some men also have a collection of all the wrongs that have ever been done to him. Well, I'll tell you what that guy did. And uh, he did this, and he did that, and then he said this. And let me show you my collection of wrongs. Here you go. Here they are. Men are not resentful. Men do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth, so much so that they want the truth to win even if they are wrong. See, men see not their reputation, but the truth as the thing to go for. So, oh, I was wrong. So we're going to practice something. You're not admitting wrongdoing, but we're going to practice something as men. This is just practice for you. We're going to repeat a three-word phrase that every man needs to learn and put in their tool belt, and this is the phrase, I was wrong. Okay? You're not, again, you're not admitting anything. This is purely practice. So on the count of three, all the men in the room are going to say, I was wrong. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. I was wrong. Now, some women are like, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, my gosh. 
Men, uh, Paul says, bear all things. The idea is that they bear things so that other people don't, it's, like, it's the idea so that other people don't have to. The idea is protection. It's like the picture of this dad who bears the storm so his son doesn't have to. That's men. We protect. Uh, men believe the best about all things. Men are not negative. Men believe in people and the possibility of change. Men pull the plug on cynicism. Men are, men are people of faith. Men recognize, well, God believed in me when I didn't believe in me. He sent Jesus for me so I can believe in you. I don't have to stop, I don't have to be cynical about you and about this circumstance. Men have hope for all things. In other words, they don't give up. Winston Churchill, uh, what he said to all of England in World War II is the motto of a man who has hope for all things. Never, no, never, no, never give up. That's a man. Never, no, never, no, I'm not going to give up hope. I'm not going to quit hoping in this circumstance. I'm not going to be one of the guys that goes, yeah, it's always going to be that way. You know them. That's not what a man does. Then Paul says, men endure all things. And this is a word picture that he uses also in one of his letters in Ephesians chapter 6. He paints this picture of a Roman uh, soldier and all of the armor that he puts on. And he says that we're in the same way to put armor on spiritually. And he ends by saying, and having done everything, he paints this picture of armor, and he says, and having done everything, stand. Well, that's everybody in that day would have known what he was talking about. He was referring to how the Roman phalanx would, when they would fight a battle, they would lock their shields, and they had on the bottom of their shoes big spikes, and they would put their spikes into the ground, and then together they would lean into the, they would lean into the battle. And whatever came, the goal was at the end of the battle to still be standing. So men endure all. They lean into it, and having done everything else, they want to be the last guy standing. I mean, be, that's a man. Men, men endure all things. Now listen. You're not going to become a different kind of a man unless you first recognize the code you've been operating by. And second, say, I'd like a different code. So what I'm offering to you, I'm going to have you in a minute commit to this as a man if you're willing to. What I'm offering to you is, is a different man code. Now, listen, this does not, by committing to this, you're not saying, uh, I'm going to do this perfectly. I know from here on out, I'll never be impatient. I'll never be unkind. You're setting in your life a plan that says, when everything goes wrong, I'm going to return to this. One of my mentors told me, he said, listen, in life, you have to have a plan A. You have to write it down, know what your values are, know what's important, and that's plan A, because at some point, everything is going to go to the hot place in a handbasket. And when it does, you have a plan A you go back to. And you say, I'm I may not be there yet, but I'm living toward it. I'm moving toward it with God's help. Because you're, you're recognizing that it's only when in God with God's help and with God's power that you're going to become this different kind of a man. And you're going to live by a new man code. And I want you to do that with me today. When you walk out, uh, there will be these uh, little printed things uh, that say the new man code and I, what I want you to do is I want you to take one of these men and I want you to put it up on the mirror the, where you get ready in the morning and I want you to look at it every day for the next six months and say with God's help I'm going to become that kind of man now listen listen okay if you do this every woman in your life is going to rejoice right ladies <laughs> if you're married I hope this only applies to you in nine months, we will increase the population of our nursery. <laughs> Married people only, please, okay? Uh, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do, men. Stand up. 
and I want you to read with me, if you're willing, you want to live by this man code, we're going to read it, you're going you're gonna to read it loud, like a man, out loud, and this is going to become something you're, with God's help, committing yourself to. You ready? Here we go. Men are patient. Men are kind. Men do not envy or boast. Men are not arrogant or rude. Men do not insist on their own way. Men are not irritable or resentful. Men do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. Men bear all things. Men believe the best about all things. Men have hope for all things. Men endure all things. Let me pray for you, men, all right? Uh, God, we're going to need a bunch of help uh, because we walked in today with, as men with uh, messages and examples that um, often have not been helpful. Uh, they've inflamed our fears and made us uh, scared little boys who pose on the outside sometimes. And we don't want to do that. Uh, we want to be a real man, a man who lives by your code. Secure in the fact that we're loved by you. Secure in the fact that you're for us. And so that you can give us the power to be different kind of men. So we're God, we're, by standing, we're committing to that today, and we need every ounce of your help and your power and your spirit to do it. So receive this commitment, God. Pray this in your name, and all the men in the room said, amen. amen. Now listen, ladies, uh, when you go out, you might not have had your man here, and you think, I am going to give this to him, and he is going to be that kind of a new man. Listen, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. <laughs> Don't do that. We'll post, post this on Facebook later. You can passive-aggressively share it with your man that way. <laughs> Don't do that, right? One, we'll have some more. Take one as you go out. Uh, but I want to invite everyone, if they would, to stand, and we'll leave you with a blessing. May you know that you are made in God's image, men and women, to love God, to love people, to serve the world in his name. Hug someone, uh, a man, high-five them, see you later. You're dismissed. <laughs>